just send that over there. Just take that over there. That'll be good. Thank you, brother. So as Mark was sharing, there's this temptation within all of us to think, well, we really don't need God. We don't need what He offers us. And it's amazing to me, as I was listening to Mark's story, it's amazing to me that God keeps coming after us. Not to ruin our lives, but to remind us of how much He cares for us and how much He wants to be involved in our lives. And as, as Mark watched Dominic interact with Miss Becky and, and he saw, saw this interaction happen, something stirred within him. A realization that all these things that had happened in his life was, was God moving in, in, in so many very direct ways, but also in very indirect ways. And in the process of God moving, he brought Mark to a place of, wow, I need Jesus Christ. I need him in my life. I need him now. And Mark turned to him, and, and oftentimes we, we don't realize what's going on until we have these significant events happening. You heard him talk about attending this celebration of life service for a friend of his that invited him to go on this motorcycle trip. And it's in the midst of, of those services where life begins to take shape. Life begins to take shape in a way that it causes us to examine our priorities. And over the course of the last number of weeks, as we've been walking through this story in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman has to examine her priorities. She realizes that her past is pretty checkered, her past is pretty ugly at times, her past has all types of things that many people found disgusting or perhaps even off-putting. Yet she encounters Jesus Christ, and in the process she realizes... This man is different. This man has done something. This man knows something about me. And not only does he know something about me, he knows me entirely. Her life was radically changed. She runs off and she goes into the town. And I invite you in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, turn, turn it to John chapter 4. If you have it on your smartphone, scroll there on, uh, on the Bible app and go to John chapter 4. And we're going to look at these verses starting at verse 39. We're going to read all the way down to verse 42. And listen to what happens here. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we would ask your Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we could understand, open our minds or open our ears that we can hear and open our minds that we can understand and open our hearts that our lives will be touched by you in such a way that we realize, all of us, myself included, realize our incredible need for you. We thank you. We thank you for the Mark's story, and we thank you for the way that you kept going after him and the way that you kept caring for he and his family. And we thank you for a life that has changed. 
We would ask now, as we continue looking at this story, that we would understand more fully how great you are, and that we, along with the Samaritans, would say, truly you are, Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the the Christ, the, the one true God. So we love you. We pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And may you, Lord Jesus, be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's no doubt that we live in a time that is unlike any other. We live in what's called the information age. Information comes at us in in waves upon waves upon waves. And as I was thinking about this encounter that this woman had with Jesus, and then she runs off, she talks to the people in her town, and and, and they, they are amazed at what she has to say. One of the things that hit me was that she was completely exposed by Jesus Christ. He told me everything I ever did. He had all the information. And we've all been in those experiences, right, when we're talking to a friend and we're having a really pleasant conversation, and then they share with us a little more information than they should have. TMI, right? We've all been there, right? If you haven't been there, hang out with me. I'll give you TMI all the time. But so often, we sit there and say, that's TMI, too much information. But here, we find this out to be true with this woman and Jesus Christ. TMI does not apply when it comes to Jesus Christ. It just doesn't apply. And what's interesting is that she says, the way John writes this, he says, we believe, from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Who testified? This woman testified. It's interesting that John uses that word testimony, and the reason why he uses it is because back in that day, a woman's testimony was not allowed in a court of law. As a matter of fact, if she witnessed something, she could not be brought forward as a witness. What she said did not matter. Yet John says because of this woman's testimony, Because of what she said, people believed. Her life had been so radically transformed by Jesus Christ that they could not help but say, wow, wow, something has happened here. And so she testifies to this and she says this, that he told me Everything I ever did. Who in your life knows everything you ever did? Who in your life knows all the good that you did, that you're really freely sharing with other people about how great you were in this particular moment? Who in your life also knows all the not so good, that you hope nobody ever finds out about? Who in your life knows everything that you ever did? It's a shocking experience when you take the time and realize there's stuff in your life, there's stuff in my life that we're not all that proud about. 
My wife knows me better than anybody else. And she understands the stuff that comes with, comes with me, and, and she understands all, the, all that ugliness, yet she doesn't know all those motives. She doesn't understand all those motives. But Jesus Christ knows everything I ever did. And there's this temptation to hide. There's this temptation to say, well, he needs, I, need to, I need to get away from him. I need to be away from him and, 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 and protect myself. But I want to invite you to turn back to Psalm 139, and, I'll, and I call it this. I call it the Psalm 139 consequence. And listen to what the psalmist says as he tried to hide. Starting at verse 1. You have searched me, Yahweh, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Yahweh, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The psalmist right now is having his mind blown. And then we pick it up in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. No escapes. And then he says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. In essence, he's saying, even if I play hide and seek with you, even if I try to cower in a corner, even the darkness, verse 12, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. And then he wraps, he begins wrapping it up and he says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This God that we have, this God that's created everything around us and sustains everything around us, understands us entirely. Jesus Christ understood this woman entirely. And then the people in the town come to understand that he understands them entirely. And Jesus knows everything about them. He knows it all, yet he never once shies away from those people. I was 17 years old. I had a, a, a passion, and I still have somewhat of a passion, for driving. And I loved driving. And, and back in that day, I loved driving fast. As a matter of fact, from the time I was 16 till the time I was 22, I averaged one speeding ticket a year. I didn't get to know the cops on a, on a first-name basis, but I'm sure they knew who I was. But I loved driving fast, and one day I was out with my friends, and we were, we were, uh, we were, we were, I was taking them home. It was an afternoon. I can't remember what we had just finished doing, but, but I was taking them home. 
And at the time, there's the show on called Dukes of Hazard. Remember that show? The General Lee, right? So, and there's that scene at the opening of Dukes of Hazard where the General Lee goes launching off. And, and they never show what happens to the General Lee. They never show you the landing. But as, we're drive, as I'm driving my friends home, we hit this dip in the road and we actually catch air. It was probably for like half a second. But it was enough for a group of guys in a car to say, let's do that again. Let's do this. We had all, and one of my friends in the backseat, Todd, he said, let's do Dukes of Hazard." And so we went for it. The only thing that my dad's car had in common with the General Lee was that it was orange. It was a 1970 Plymouth Duster. And so we went around the block. We stopped a distance off, and and thankfully there were no other cars on the road at the time. And all of a sudden, everybody in the car starts screaming, going, Dukes of Hazard! Dukes of Hazard! We're just getting into it. I rev the engine. I put it in gear, first gear. Then they're going, go faster, go faster, go faster. Second gear, go faster, go faster, go. Third gear, go faster, go faster. Well, I can't go any faster. It's in third gear. We're flying down the road. We're flying down the road. And they say, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. We hit the dip. We launch. We were in the air for at least a second. We launch. They're screaming, going, this is awesome. You know, we're having this great time. We're having this great time. We're screaming. We're yelling. I'm holding on for dear life. Remember what I said earlier. You never see what happens to the General Lee when it lands. So our car landed. We hit the ground. And all my buddies are saying, that was awesome! That was awesome. We're screaming, we're whooping, we're hollering. I look in the rearview mirror. And there's a trail of something following us. And all of a sudden, all this screaming came to an abrupt end. When Todd said, What's that smell? We immediately stop. All of us pile out of the car. We see, we look back, we see this trail. And all of us bend down to look underneath the car. And the gas tank had fallen off. Todd, who became the best man in my wedding, and I was the best man in his wedding, said this, I don't think your dad's going to be real happy. (laughs) So I'm looking at this gas tank, and keep in mind, we had been going down the road for a while with dragging a gas tank. Thankfully, there was no spark. Mark talked about he didn't realize that God was involved in this or that. God, it was amazing because we sat there going, wow, nothing caught on fire. So I had to find a phone. I go in, I make a phone call, and, and I am petrified because I know what happened. My dad shows up, and my dad says, what happened? 
And I told him what happened. I said, that dip, we went over that dip and uh, the gas tank fell off. (laughs) And my dad said, I noticed when I was driving here, your mom's car, that that dip is pretty extensive, isn't it? I said, it sure is. <laughs> and then he looked at me, and, he, and, I, I will never, and I wrote it down. He said to me, John, I'm sorry this happened to you and your friends. Let me see what I can do so you can get your friends home. And that was it. That was it. That's all he said. And then, as when we got home, he said to me, and as we were eating, eating dinner, he looks at me and just said, John, I apologize that the gas tank fell off. He says, I've been, I've been noticing when I'm driving to work that something is, that, that each time the gas tank seems to have a little bit of a problem. or so. I don't know how he notices, but my dad was a mechanic, so I just trusted him with that. And he looked at me and said, I am so sorry that happened today. I said, you're forgiven. (laughs) I didn't give him the information, did I? I shied away from my father. I was petrified of knowing what would happen. Because he and my mom had already talked to me about my penchant for speeding. And if I were to tell him that we did the General Lee in his car, there would be no more driving for me for quite a while. I eventually told my dad what I did at my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary, which was five years ago. I figured it was safe to do. The car's no longer around. But the reason why I share this story with you is this is that I was petrified. And if you were to ever meet my dad, you'd see why. I was petrified of this man. And yes, he, he wouldn't have hurt me or anything like that, but there would have been severe consequences. This woman finds out that Jesus knows every single detail about her life and he doesn't shy away from her and he offers her life. She cannot comprehend this. Her life was checkered. We found out, we found out as we've read through this story, she didn't have one husband or two husbands or three husbands or four husbands. She had five husbands. She had a history that went with her. Jesus Christ knew everything about her. And here's the thing. There are over 7 billion people on this planet. And yet, he knows every single detail of every single person. We pick it up in verse 40. It says this, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. The more you know about Jesus Christ, the more you want to know Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that point in just a second. But here's what happens. I find it fascinating. The Jews and the Samaritans do not get along at all. They hate each other. And the Samaritans 
urge Jesus to stay with them. They urge Jesus to stay with them. Their arch enemy, they say, please hang out with us. And it wasn't because they were going to ruin his life or do anything harsh to him. They were fascinated by him. There are over 7 billion people on this planet, and it's real easy to forget that someone cares about us when customer service says, hey, what are the last four digits of your social security number? That's how much we care about you. Jesus Christ knows all about you. He knows more than the last four digits of your social security number. And here's the thing. Jesus Christ has time for you. He has time for you. And He is truly interested in you. That boggles my mind. That He's interested in me? He's interested in you? He's interested in us, and here's why. Because He cares for us. Because He knows what's best for us. He knows every detail of our lives. And the Samaritans come to find this out. This woman shares, he told me everything I ever did. All of a sudden, they interact with Jesus, and they urge him to stay there. And they urge him to stay there, and Jesus chooses to stay there two more days. He stays with them two more days, and then we read this, and because of his words, many more became believers. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you want to know Jesus. He is the most fascinating man to ever walk the face of the earth, no matter what the beer commercial says. He's far more interesting than that guy. He's far more fascinating than that guy. He is the Lord of Lords and the Savior of all humanity. And he's interested in you and he's interested in me and he interacts with us and when he interacts with us, things happen. And then we're, we find this out. The reason why the reason why they were fascinated by him was, first off, he's Jesus Christ. But notice it says, and because of his words, many more became believers. His words are words that change lives. His words are words that change lives. And many people back in, this, back in this village, many people came to become believers in that town because of his words. And his words are not empty. His words are full. They are full of power. When Jesus Christ speaks, things happen. I invite you to flip a few pages back. Go to Luke chapter 7 and listen to this. In Luke chapter 7, we read this encounter, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant 
When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Interesting comment here real quickly. This guy's a centurion. He's part of the Roman guard. He's part of the Roman army. And yet he has compassion on these people. So much so that he helped build their synagogue. We don't know all the details, what was going on there, but this guy was friendly to the Jewish people. Verse 6, so Jesus went with him. He was not far from the, from, the, from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, sent friends to say to him, I'm getting all, whatever, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself, notice this, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Throughout the book of Luke, anytime the word amazed is used there and it's used by Jesus, oftentimes Jesus Christ is amazed at their lack of faith. He's amazed that they have no faith. And so you're expecting that to happen here. There's something going on. Jesus is amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and noticed this, they found the servant well. Jesus said it. The centurion's servant was healed. That's all there is to it. And in John chapter 11, if, if we were to continue reading through John's gospel, we come to John chapter 11, and I invite you to turn there now and look at what happens in this event. So in John chapter 11, we pick it up in verse 38. Lazarus is dead. We pick it up in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, and notice this little tidbit of information, for he has been there for four days. This guy's really dead. Not mostly dead. He's really dead. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear, I know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth lying around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus Christ doesn't touch him, doesn't go into the tomb and touch him and bring him out. Jesus Christ speaks into the tomb. His words are filled with power, so much power that a dead man came back to life. The Samaritans came to believe in him, not because of any type of, of amazing miracles that he did. They came to believe in him because of his words. 
His words change lives. His word changes our lives today. His word is living. His word is active. His word reaches into those places that we don't want anybody else to know about. And his word enters into those cracks and crevices in our lives and says, I love you. I care about you. I came to rescue you. That's what the Samaritans encountered with him. They encountered this life-changing word. And then they come to find out that he truly is the real deal. Verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. He's the real deal. And we live in a world that has a real problem. This past week, I woke up at about, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it's because I'm getting to that age. But anyway, I got, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. See, TMI right there. Sorry. I did it. I just can't help myself. Woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, I checked my phone. I don't know why. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, I received an email from Verizon thanking me for upgrading two of the phones on our, in our family's phone plan. 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking, huh, did not know that we did that. <laughs> so, go back to bed, fall asleep, wake up, had a meeting, had a couple meetings actually, and uh, at the end of the meeting, I, I said, did I really read this email properly? So I read through it and said, thanks for upgrading. I'm going, we didn't upgrade. Heidi's phone wasn't working anymore. Something happened. Dawn's phone wasn't working anymore. Something happened. So all of a sudden I do the math and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. We've been hacked. So I call Verizon and I said, I need to let you know that Apparently, we've upgraded our phones, and if we've upgraded them, it's an incredible job that you guys did in upgrading these phones because they look the exact same. And they said, well, we have here that you purchased an upgrade on both those phones in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And I said, really? I live in Salinas, California. I didn't speak in a falsetto, by the way. And so they said, so you're telling us you did not get these phones. (laughs) I said, I'm telling you, I did not get those phones. And then the the woman on the other end made this incredibly astute observation. says, huh, I guess this is a fraud. I said, I guess so. And then she went into fraud protection mode. Says, I need the last four digits of your social. So I go through all of this. She treated me so well. Treated me so well. And over the course of the next 45 minutes to an hour, we're working through this problem. Later that day, I received an email from the Best Buy where these phones were purchased. And they said, 
we would like you to rate our service. (laughs) And I told him, I said, you know, I've never been to Lake Charles, Louisiana. I do like a good jambalaya. But you guys need to work on your security features or whatever the case may be. The real problem isn't that I got hacked. The real problem is a bigger issue than that. And the real problem that all of us face, whether we get hacked or not, is this. The real problem is sin. The real problem is the fact that there are things going on around us and in our lives that are because of sin. That's the real problem. God bless you. The Samaritans had an issue with sin. Just as the Jewish people back in Jesus' day had an issue with sin. It was a real problem. It's been a real problem since humanity walked away, and when they blew it, they shied away from God. But what did God do? God did not shy away from them. God kept after them the whole time. We have a real problem, and I love what the Samaritans say here. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and notice the next line, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We have a real problem, and Jesus is the real answer. He's the real answer. You can look at any, and I encourage you to do this, look at any other belief system in the world. Look at all of them. Line them up next to Christianity. Line them up next to Jesus. And every single one of them falls apart. Because Jesus Christ, to quote the Samaritans, really is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ's own enemies, the Samaritans, are saying this guy is the Savior of the world. And that took everything within them to acknowledge that. The Samaritans, I cannot emphasize this enough, the Samaritans despised, hated, wanted nothing good to happen to the Jewish people, wanted nothing good, especially with this Messiah. They despised them. And yet, their conclusion is this, He is the Savior of the world. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, that was back then, this is now, things have changed. No. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as there was a real problem back then, there's a real problem today, and He really is the Savior of the world. Examine Him. I encourage you to do that. I encourage all of us to do that. And as you examine Him, the conclusion you will reach is this. There's something different about Jesus Christ. There's something different about Jesus Christ. How do we know? We know it because of this, that He rose from the dead. No one else has. Yes, Lazarus rose from the dead, but Lazarus eventually died. Jesus Christ rose from the dead never to taste death again. He's still alive. 
And Jesus Christ came not just for some, but Jesus Christ came for all. The fact that He enters into Samaritan village and they interact with Him and He interacts with them and they realize He's the Savior, it's a, it communicates to us that He is for everybody. He is really the Savior of the world. I invite you this morning. I invite you this morning to reflect on these words. I invite you this morning to, even after, after, even after we're done today, to examine Jesus Christ. The Samaritans examined Him for over two days. And their conclusion was this. He's the Savior of the world. Examine Him. Ask Him questions. And listen to His response because His words are powerful. And His word changes lives. If you're interested in talking about Him after the service, I'd be more than happy to talk with you. One of the elders would be more than happy to talk with you. We'll be over in this area. Be more than happy to talk with you and answer your questions. Because the question that has to be answered is, is Jesus Christ the real deal? And if He is the real deal, what does that mean for my life? Father, we pray now. We pray that we would understand better Jesus Christ. And we thank You that He came, that He knows everything about us, and that He still cares for us. How amazing is that, Lord? It's mind-boggling to me that you know every detail about me and yet still say to me, I love you and you're forgiven. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in our midst that we would place our trust not in hiding from you, but that we would place our trust in you rescuing us because of Jesus Christ. Lord, do your work. Do your work in only the way that you can do your work. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're now going to sing two more songs. And as we sing these two songs, there's plenty to be thinking about. There's plenty to be reflecting on. And as we sing these songs, I want you to pay attention to the, to the lyrics in these songs and, 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 and see what's going on in the midst of this song and how it, how it helps us understand more and more who Jesus Christ is and what He's done. So please stand, and as the band readies themselves uh, to help lead us in worship, uh, we get to sing out with that.